A little while back, we talked about how Evernote was migrating all their user data over to Google's cloud platform and the stir that was causing. Now, however, they've been causing some even greater privacy concerns by a plan that was originally communicated in such a way as to lead users to believe that they were going to give employees access to their notes. We'll give you the details. Plus, with services like Amazon, we become pretty accustomed to buying things without ever needing to leave the house. Well, what about fast food? McDonald's is testing out a new delivery service that may soon enable you to have fast food show up at your doorstep. And on the topic of buying without leaving the house, Amazon was far from the first to make this a possibility. We'll talk about a company from the late 1800s that revolutionized the shopping experience. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is the Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. You can call 888-727-1496. That's 888-727-1496 if you'd like to call in and ask a question for the program. So lots to get to today, uh, the first of which has to do with Evernote. So I talked about Evernote a little while back and some privacy concerns that had come to light or had surfaced because of their choice to migrate everyone's data over to Google's cloud platform. So this wasn't the biggest change in the world. It wasn't necessarily them giving access to Google. It was just a huge switch from going from their own native infrastructure to something that Google or a third-party company completely maintained and managed. So that raised some red flags for people, but wasn't a game-changer for most. However, a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back actually, Uh, Evernote released some changes, some new changes to their privacy policy that had some people getting ready to actually leave the service, and quite a few people were ready to leave the service. Now, I will preface this with saying, first of all, that since this time, they have updated what they originally said and what the original account that they were giving or, you know, the things that they were saying in their privacy policy. So this has changed, uh, and now people have to opt into this. But the way that it was set up before was so that you could not opt out of it. So it was like mandatory if you were using Evernote. So TechCrunch actually had the story, and I'll just read a a portion of that. It says, Evernote announced that it will roll out a new privacy policy on January 23rd, and the changes have users threatening to abandon the service. The policy changes have to do with machine learning, which Evernote says it is using to help you get the most out of your Evernote experience. Evernote wants to let its machine learning algorithms crunch your data, but it doesn't want to stop there. The company also wants to let some of its employees read your notes so it can ensure that the machine learning is functioning properly. The latest update to the privacy policy allows some Evernote employees to exercise oversight of the machine learning technologies applied to the account content, Evernote said in an announcement of the new privacy policy. While our computer systems do a pretty good job, sometimes a limited amount of human review is simply unavoidable in order to make sure everything is working exactly as it should. Evernote claims that only a limited number of employees who have undergone 
background checks will be able to access user data and that users can encrypt notes they consider sensitive to prevent employees from reading them. But many Evernote users aren't satisfied with those, pre those precautions and are threatening to leave the service. Evernote says users can opt out of having their notes reviewed for machine learning purposes, but, uh, but says that no user can opt out of having their notes read altogether. Evernote or employees can also read notes to investigate violations of the company's terms of service or to comply with law enforcement or court orders. And then the update says that Evernote has walked back this change to its privacy policy and now says that users will have to opt in to let users read their notes for purposes of machine learning. Our customers let us know that we messed up in no uncertain terms. We heard them and we're taking immediate, immediate action to fix it. CEO Chris O'Neill said. So to kind of underscore and to recap, this is something that they walked back and that they changed after they got quite a bit of backlash. So again, it's now something, if you're an Evernote user, you don't have to worry about, you know, at least at the moment, you don't have to worry about employees reading your notes. They said you have to actually opt in to have employees be able to read your notes in order to help to correct and to improve their search algorithm. But the point I wanted to make here, which I thought was worth making, was that whenever somebody says that they're going, they're they're trying to improve a experience at the expense of privacy or security, and it's kind of under, it kind of defeats the entire purpose of the application. Part of the problem is, is it takes an understanding. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect here between Evernote and the way that people, Evernote itself, and the way people use their product. This is why it's so important to know what your pro how products are perceived by your customers as opposed to how you perceive the, the customer perceives your customer. I know that sounds a little bit confusing, but the, the bottom line is just to understand how people are using your service. So, And even to put yourself in their shoes. So for example, one of the things they say in this article is that if there's anything you don't want employees to see, then just encrypt it. That is absolutely, that's an absolutely absurd claim. Most people, I know I use Evernote myself, but some of us have literally tens of thousands of notes. So what you're saying is, first of all, we have to, un we have to know about this update because the only reason I personally know about it is because I happened to see this TechCrunch article. So number one, you have to know that this is happening. Number two, then you have to set aside time to go through, for some people, literally thousands and thousands of notes and picking which ones you have you want them to be able to see and not see. That's just ridiculous. That's just not good customer service. So I think that obviously there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. And the first and foremost is don't flip things on your user base. Don't flip things on your customers. When they have a certain experience, you know, when they have an expectation of the service or the product that you offer, you don't want to suddenly just switch that on them. There's a lot of different strategic ways to grandfather people in. Like, for example, there's, you know, a lot of hosting companies or service-based companies will make dramatic changes to their infrastructure and to the way that they offer the, their, their different services. So they will leave the people who currently have the, you know, the, the interface or the infrastructure the way it is, they will grandfather them in. They won't change their user experience. They won't make an update until that person is ready. They'll say, would you like to opt into the new user interface? Would you like to opt into the new, you know, way we're doing things? And you can check it out. And then you, you voluntarily do that. But when you kind of force it on people or even worse, you just kind of, you know, as Evernote did, if, if Evernote just kind of, you know, sneaks it in there through the back door, then again, you start to, it starts to infringe and to erode away the trust 
that Evernote has built over the years of being a reputable company. That's part of, and this is something I'll probably be covering in more detail later on, but that starts to erode away at what's called brand equity. You know, people have a certain amount of stock that they've placed in specific companies. And the reason they have that is because that company has delivered value to them over and over and over again. Once a company begins to do, you know, break away from their original brand essence and the things that made them great to begin with, once they start to violate those things or their principles or or to split away from them, we start to see that brand equity start to drop. You know, the perceived value or the confidence in that brand or in that company begins to crater over time. So again, obviously Evernote has gone to fix the problem, but in the process, these are the type of things that can severely damage a brand over time if they continue. So again, always interesting to at least be aware of what's happening, but also to take a lesson away from what it means to be building an effective brand and you know, just keeping your users and your customers happy, which obviously is a huge part of maintaining a powerful brand. Another interesting story that came out recently actually has to do with McDonald's. So an interesting shift in the landscape of fast food and uh, USA Today has the story. It says, Big Mac lovers in select cities can rejoice this January when McDonald's begins testing a delivery service. The fast food chain will offer the delivery option from nearly 200 restaurants in Orlando, uh, Orlando, Tampa, and Miami starting in late January, according to McDonald's spokes, uh, spokeswoman Becca Harry. So obviously something that is specific to Florida at the moment. Uh, Customers can order off the menu and have their food delivered to their door via Uber Eats, uh, an app or webs, uh, their app or website. Uber Eats now serves 50 cities around the world. Users type in their delivery address, enter a card for payment and browse restaurants and menus online. Just like Uber cars, consumers can also track the delivery's progress. While there are a slew of options currently available on Uber Eats, McDonald's is one of the few fast food chains to hop on board. Becca said McDonald's plans to get feedback from Florida customers to decide whether or not to expand delivery services in the future. So this is really interesting in a number of different ways. So obviously, you know, you can see Uber itself as a type of service starting to expand, but you also see uh, a very interesting move by McDonald's. And the reason I highlight this is because it'll be interesting to watch and to observe. And again, this is something I could probably follow up with, uh, follow up with you on in a future episode as they start to test this out. But it's a big step out from what McDonald's is known for. Now, here's the big difference. And it'll be interesting to see how this works because, you know, again, a user experience or the brand experience can be greatly, you know, diminished if this isn't done well. So for example, we all are aware with pizza delivery that's been around for a long time now, that's nothing new. But they've created a way to be able to deliver pizzas so that when you receive it at your doorstep, it's still hot, right? With McDonald's, what I'm interested to see is if they are able to deliver that same level of quality. You know, is there a a decreased quality Uh, in that food? Is it showing up cold? Is it cooler? Is it, you know, is the ice melted in the drink? There's a lot of little details and nuances that go to actually serving the customer, you know, what they expect. So it'll be interesting to see, interesting to watch how the company handles it, how well it's delivered. And part of the, the other side of this as well, 
Uh, now, obviously, we're talking about fast food. We're not talking about, you know, delivering a high-end four- or five-star restaurant cuisine. We're talking about fast food. So it is still, you know, fast food is what it is. Uh, however, it is always interesting to see because what McDonald's is doing here is they are entrusting the delivery of their product through a third party. So the way that that person interacts, how friendly they are, you know, this is not a, a McDonald's employee per se. So uh, again, it'll be interesting to see. And sometimes this works out well for companies, other, other times not so well. But again, definitely a different direction uh, for the fast food chain. It'll be interesting to see how this either helps or hurts their brand or, or what the impact is. Also, it'll be interesting to see if other uh, fast food services jump on the bandwagon as well. To kind of follow McDonald's leads. I think my guess is a lot of people are just kind of watching it to see how it works out. And I think if it works out well, you'll start to see Jack in the Box and some of these other companies follow suit. So today's main topic I wanted to take some time to discuss is actually a new uh, segment I'll be doing from time to time on the Rightly Design Show called Brand Story. Now, Brand Story is a a segment where I'm going to take a little bit of a, a flashback, a, a walk through memory lane, if you will, and look at some of the brands of the past and see what they've done well, how they changed their industries. I think a lot of what we do these days is we tend to focus on pretty much everything that's been done ever since the invention of the internet. You know, so I've mentioned uh, Amazon. You know, we all, we like to talk about Apple and eBay and Nike and McDonald's and all these big brands. And while they are, you know, interesting to look at, and while uh, you know, what they're doing now are things that we can take away from and learn. But innovation is definitely nothing new. And you can almost, and in some ways, the impact that some people have had through innovation has been larger, was, was larger, you know, had a larger impact before the internet was even invented. So today we're going to take a look at a company that was Amazon of its time uh, back in the late 1800s. But before I do that, I wanted to take a quick moment to mention today's sponsor, and that is FreshBooks. So if you are working with clients, or if you invoice people, or if you need to track expenses, or you track time and you charge by the hour, FreshBooks is definitely going to be something that you're going to want to check out. I've been using FreshBooks now for a couple of years, and I've never considered switching to anything else. It, it enables me to quickly and easily create invoices, to track my expenses, to track time as I'm working with different clients, to even present them with reports or things that they can check in on to see the amount of time I've spent on specific items. It's an all-inclusive solution, and it's great for small businesses, for independents, and for you know authors, writers, speakers, anybody who's trying to build an independent or uh, you know a smaller uh, a smaller sized team or brand. Uh, FreshBooks is a great way to go, and uh, FreshBooks, as a listener to the Rightly Design Show, FreshBooks is actually going to offer you a 30-day free trial, so you can go in there and test out all the different features. I think you'll really enjoy using it. I think they've just did a major revamp to the to the user interface, so it's even better than it was before. And of course, there's a lot of design features in there that someone like me likes, so you can go in there and you can customize the invoices and the color and the layout and everything to fit your brand and the style that works best for you. So again, as I mentioned, they're going to offer you, as a listener to the Rightly Design Show, a 30-day free trial. And you can get that free trial if you go to gofreshbooks.com slash rightlydesigned. Again, that's gofreshbooks.com slash rightlydesigned and enter Rightly Designed in the How Did You Hear About Us section. 
Have a question for the show? Feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. You can buy just about anything on Amazon. Books, magazines, movies, gadgets, groceries, all with largely competitive pricing. Want a box of Fruit Loops? Yep, you can order that on Amazon. But Amazon was far from the first to place an entire shopping experience at the customer's fingertips. No, for that, we can travel back to the late 1800s, a time when the retail industry consisted largely of local general stores through which farmers bought essential supplies at exorbitant prices and often on credit with a very limited selection. Pricing was often negotiated and some weren't even able to buy at all if their creditworthiness wasn't up to par. Today's brand story is Sears, Roebuck & Company. In North Redwood, Minnesota, a railroad station agent by the name of Richard Warren Sears stumbled across something that, unbeknown to him, would begin the process of completely changing the retail landscape. Through one means or another, Sears came across a shipment of high-quality watches that were unwanted by a local jeweler. Sears purchased the watches and, in turn, sold them to other station agents, making a considerable profit in the process. It worked out so well for him, he reordered more watches to continue his new operation. As his venture picked up steam, he further expanded his watch selling through mail-order catalogs and moved to Chicago, Illinois, where he met Alva C. Roebuck, who subsequently became his partner in the business. Sears was quick to take advantage of the buyer gap caused by overpriced, fickle general stores being a primary supplier of goods. He did this by publishing catalogs that offered customers a wider selection of products at clearly labeled prices. Business exploded as the very first Sears catalog was published in 1888. In 1893, Richard Sears and Alva Roebuck renamed their watch company Sears, Roebuck & Company and began to expand to new lines of products. By the following year, the Sears catalog had grown to 322 pages, featuring sewing machines, bicycles, sporting goods, and yes, even automobiles, courtesy of Lincoln Motor Car Works of Chicago. Sales were upwards of $400,000 and more than $750,000 two years later. That's the equivalent of nearly $20 million today. By 1896, the company was producing a 532-page catalog, which included dolls, stoves, and even groceries. That's right, the Amazon Fresh of the 1890s. But just as things were looking up for Sears, Roebuck & Company, the National Panic of 1893, a full-scale depression, hit the company hard. Sales stagnated and the two businessmen were left with scores of unsold merchandise. As a result, Roebuck decided to quit the company. While he later returned in a publicity role, this left Sears with a vacant role he had to fill. 
Sears offered Robux half of the company to Chicago businessman Aaron Nosbaum, who in turn brought his brother-in-law Julius Rosenwald, to whom Sears owed money. In August 1895, they bought Robux half of the company for $75,000. The new Sears, Roebuck & Company was reincorporated in Illinois with a capital stock of $150,000. Rosenwald then brought a rational management, or you could also say branding philosophy, and diversified product line to the mail order form. Dry goods, consumer durables, drugs, hardware, furniture, and nearly anything else a farm household could desire. From 1895 to 1907, under Rosenwald's leadership as vice president and treasurer, annual sales of the company climbed from $750,000 to upwards of $50 million. The prosperity of the company and their vision for greater expansion led Sears and Rosenwald to take the company public in 1906 with $40 million in stock. In 1908, however, Sears was forced to resign the presidency as a result of declining health, leaving Rosenwald to take his place as president and chairman of the board with total control of the company. Sears' successful 1906 initial public offering, IPO, marked the first major retail IPO in American financial history, representing what some have called a coming-of-age, financially, of the consumer sector. Over time, the Sears catalog even became a bit of a wish book for children and their parents, a form of entertainment in and of itself, as they eagerly flipped through the wide assortment of items the company carried. For many, it wasn't a question of purchasing, but more of dreaming, as they made up stories about the lives of the models on the pages. While the catalog was a means of entertainment for some, much of its appeal wore off with the passing of childhood. In 1919 through 1921, the company was impacted yet again as a severe depression hit the nation's farms after farmers had overexpanded their holdings. To bail out the company, Rosenwald pledged $21 million of his own personal wealth. By 1922, however, Sears had regained financial stability. First, Rosenwald oversaw the design and construction of the company's first department store within Sears Roebuck's massive 40-acre headquarters complexes of offices, laboratories, and mail-order operations at Holman Avenue and Arlington Street on Chicago's west side. The store opened in 1925. The previous year, however, Rosenwald resigned the presidency but remained as a chairman until his death in 1932. Since that time, Sears and Roebuck has been shortened to just Sears, a name that was to grace a building in Chicago which at the time made history at 110 stories high. You may know it as Sears Tower. Fast forward to the present time, and while Sears has long since discontinued its famous retail-changing catalog, their brand continues to live on to this day. All because an entrepreneur decided to build a business from a shipment of unwanted watches. build a better brand through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. 
Okay, so hopefully you found that a little bit interesting, diving into the history of Sears and Roebuck. Sometimes I find it interesting myself just to dive back into history a little bit and to discover how some of the brands that we know so well today got their start. So that's why I decided I'll probably do a regular segment from time to time on the Rightly Designed show where I just highlight a brand, you know, even if it's one that's no longer around or, you know, just take a little walk through history to discover some of the ways that, you know, people were able to create companies from great ideas and changing industries and building brands, even when uh, branding wasn't in and of itself something that people pursued. So uh, I would love to hear your thoughts and your feedback. If you'd like to hear more uh, brand story segments on the Rightly Designed show, so you're always welcome to send me an email at show at rightlydesigned.com, or you can always leave uh, a comment on today's show notes, which is going to be rightlydesignedshow.com slash 38. So as always, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the program today, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com show for links to these channels and more.